Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. If um, you will go ahead and be turning to 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll get started there in a moment. So, what an afternoon of rain and cold, what a big change yesterday. Look down about that. I was hoping that spring would continue on. But uh, I'm excited today to have this opportunity to share with you our ongoing study in 1 Peter. Keith has been sharing with us, and we'll continue on through 2 Peter in our study series, um, really what the message Peter's trying to share with us, what we need to know to be pleasing to God, how to handle suffering. A lot of different issues that come up in 1 Peter, and we're going to talk about some of them today. But before we get started, I just want to recognize, you know, the Winships are on a vacation, having a little time away. His birthday is tomorrow, so you might want to say happy birthday to him. And uh, I do want to recognize my son-in-law, KJ, had a birthday this last week. Happy birthday, KJ. And, uh... I'm probably missing some other folks. I do apologize, but if you have had a birthday or anniversary or some special day this last week, anniversary coming up. All right. Well, congratulations. Twenty-three years. Amen. That is awesome, Butter. That is so cool. But, you know, we got to celebrate our anniversaries. We got to remember these things. You know, life is precious. Time goes on. We're going to celebrate birthdays. We're going to celebrate anniversaries and births. They're special occasions. Amen. Well, let's get started. I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read what we're going to attempt to cover today. If I don't get through it all, well, it's up to Keith to pick up the rest. <laughs> I'll share with him where I left off. We get as far as we get, okay? Amen. But uh, this is what I'm going to try to accomplish today. It seems like it's just 12 verses, but oh my goodness, there's a lot in 12 verses. So, beginning in verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, you may have showed up for the first time and not been a part of the series, you're going, good Lord, what have I got myself into? What is, what is going on here? Women, men, people need to act a particular way. Good grief. <laughs> Very first thing he says is likewise. In the first verse, likewise. All right, so that means likewise, something's been said already previously that we need to consider. In other words, it means in the same way. In the same way, wives, in the same way as something he's talked about in chapter 2. So if you don't remember what we talked about last week or, or you haven't read chapter 2 recently, we're going to review just a little bit so we can all arrive together at the same place. Okay, so in 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, what he says in, in our review here, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So obviously I'm skimming. I'm not reading all of chapter two, but what I wanted to do is zero in on a few ideas here. The first thing is we have a king. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have a king. He is Lord. God called us out of darkness and he brought us into his marvelous light. He made us his people. You have transferred from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to acknowledge I have moved. I am moving away from darkness. I am moving into light, and I have a king. We are called to be holy. 
We are His possession. We belong to Him. And we are called to proclaim Him to this lost world. We have a purpose. So that's a little review there, but then he goes on and he says, and this is the likewise part, he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorably so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, wait a minute. I'm in exile here. What's an exile? That means I'm in a place I, I shouldn't be. I'm residing temporarily here. I'm a sojourner. I'm passing through. You remember that song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Right, yeah. I don't belong to the world anymore. I'm here, but it's not my kingdom. Its rules aren't necessarily my rules because I am a king. Hold on to that thought. Our thinking now has to be kingdom thinking and not worldly thinking. There is a contrast between the two. It is a stark contrast. It better be. The way we live here in exile is very important. We lift up our king. Our behavior here should cause people to see the difference in our behavior from theirs. So that when Jesus returns, according to Scripture, they will acknowledge that his way was the right way. You know, I messed up, but I see now. Isn't that interesting? I see now that what they were doing is the right thing. So let's finish up our review in verses 13 through 18. Here Peter is very specific on how we're supposed to be different from the world. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to the governors as sent to him. You're going, what? <laughs> be subject to every human institution? Uh, that's not very American. <laughs> I don't subject myself to every institution. Why would we do this? And it answers its own question. Because the Lord says so. <laughs> if you're going to have a king, you do what he says. You go, why should I obey every human institution? Because it's for the Lord's sake. Wow. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How you behave makes a difference to God. It makes a difference to the people around you. This is the contrast. This is the likewise. So when we start talking about women, when we start talking about men, we start talking about the church in chapter 3, this is the context. We have a king. And how we behave here 
is so vitally important to lift up our king. We're his ambassadors. We're his holy priesthood. We are showing people who the king is, why they should submit themselves to him. Our behavior matters. It's a reflection on our king. So Keith shared the struggle that we have with this. On one side, we're like, I need to have my own way. That's worldly thinking. My way. I want my way. And we struggle against that. We struggle. If I do what this word says, then what are people going to think about me? I'm weird. I'm a freak. Everyone believes differently. I'm going to get persecuted if I do what God wants me to do. It makes us afraid. Or we have stuff going on in our lives. I'm not being treated fairly. Why should I submit? This isn't fair. It isn't right. It's unjust. I need to stand up for myself. I need to fight. It feels that way. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants to be sovereign. I don't need to make it about me or make much of me. I need to make it about God. And then the scripture says, Jesus left us an example that we might follow in his steps. The scripture that we obey is, I will deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. I'm willing to suffer for what he wants me to do. These are stark contrasts. And when you live this different, it makes a difference. Keith said something that really resonated with me. Submission is the only reasonable response to the gospel. I have a king. I have a new king. He's my Lord. So, that was our review. We're going to pick up in chapter 3 now. We've covered the likewise, okay? So, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, wives, just like everyone should submit themselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, you are to submit yourselves to your husbands, even if some of them do not obey the word of God. What? I mean, really? What? That sounds crazy. But I want to, I want to share something with you. This is not a new teaching if you're a disciple of Jesus. In Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So I have a question. Does anyone put off a little bit? Feel a little cringe here? I mean, that can happen when you read this stuff because this is not what the world is saying. 
This is saying, if you do this in the world and talk about this, there's going to be anger. What you're saying, what are you really saying here? Well, we're going to get there in just a minute. But what he's really talking about is he's speaking to a culture right then. Okay? He is speaking to us today, but the letter was written to a specific audience then. And right then, the issues were, how do you behave in this culture, in this time, to represent our king? So that people will make Jesus Lord. What do you need to do? How do you need to behave? What should your life look like? And so he said, you need to obey human institutions. You need to obey the emperor. If you are a slave, then you need to serve well. If you're a master, here's how you need to treat that person. You're going, what? These terms are crazy. Who would do this? Because we have a king. That's why. This is hard to understand sometimes. But the indication here is there's a group as conversions are happening, I want you to imagine where you have couples and one of them become a disciple and one of them doesn't. What, what's going to happen then? What does that look like? When you have one person that says Jesus is Lord and one goes, nope, I'm not going to do that. Imagine that interaction. And so this is where he gets real and starts talking about it. I mean, don't you think between husbands and wives, if your wife became a disciple and you didn't, what you'd be afraid of? You would start going, well, what if she pulls away from me? What if she starts ignoring me or disrespecting me? Or she starts listening to some other guys, telling her how to live her life rather than listening to me? It would scare you, wouldn't it? And you'd be looking for that. You'd be like, you're zeroing in. What's changing here? How's my wife going to act? There's fear on both sides. Imagine the wife pulls away from the husband. She doesn't respect him. She's following another guy. Wouldn't the husband tell or warn all his friends about this movement that's happening? This Christian movement where they're pulling wives away from their husbands? It wouldn't go good, would it? Where if you're the wife, wouldn't it be easy to disrespect your husband or not follow his leadership? Wouldn't you be tempted to discount his ideas and what he cares about and what he wants to do? Peter and the Holy Spirit says, Wives, subject yourselves so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Wow. Salvation in the kingdom of God is more important than our feelings. That's, that's hard. That's hard. But let's, I, I need to go a little further with this because, you know, not many of us necessarily are in that situation, but there's another principle here that we need to talk about. Because the idea here is that Sorry, I too far ahead here. Mm-hmm. 
you may have a situation where you're both disciples, and yet your husband is not yet obeying a part of God's word. And it impacts you. I want you to think about that. You have a husband, and there's something he's struggling with. Think of how that can be an excuse to be disrespectful, to not be submissive. There's something in his life. He hasn't submitted to God yet. He's struggling. Maybe it's struggling with denying himself. Maybe he doesn't help with the kids or help you with work. Maybe he doesn't handle money well yet, or he's underemployed, or what if he's greedy, or what if he only focuses on his work and his hobbies and interests and he doesn't make time for you? What if he's harsh? What if he actually intimidates you? You go, a disciple? A Christian? Oh yeah, let's be real here. A husband could be that way. He's not completely submitted himself to God's will yet. He's learning. He's maturing. He's trying to get there. Okay? I hope he is. But what we're talking about is what does the wife do? And all I can do is I want to share with you an example. And this is, <laughs> this is going to be tough because it's me. I'm holding myself up as a horrible example. <laughs> Because when I was a young man, Roxanne and I got married at 21. We had uh, our kids, we started having kids at 28. We had three children young, they were pretty successive. And I became a disciple after we were married and after we had kids. And so I was immature, I was selfish, I was insecure. Honestly, at that time, I had a series of jobs that, where I was just poorly paid. I wasn't believing I had this degree in journalism that I was ever going to make any money. My excuse in my mind was, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a doctor. I, I'm never going to make much money. And I would, therefore, pre-make decisions because I was afraid of taking any risks that would put me in that situation to make more money. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. At that time, we had a little two-bedroom condo, and we had three little kids, and Roxanne wanted to be home with the kids. She wanted to raise them. She wanted to take care of them, and I didn't make any money <laughs> to make that happen, because she had to go to work. And she was afraid. She was afraid because of the situation of how I handle things. It scared her. And so she felt like she had to provide. She felt like she had to be the one to make things happen. If we didn't have enough money, she had to get the additional job. She had to pay the bills. She had to handle those things. And at the same time, you have these other desires. I don't want to stay in this little condo. I want a nicer house. I want to have a car that's decent and will drive. And you start thinking that perpetuates 
some issues. And we're talking about two people going to church every Sunday. Okay? Two people that want to obey God. But I have issues. She has issues. And we have to work through these things. Look, this was going on and I was ashamed. I really was. I was humiliated in many ways, but very prideful. You can be all of those at the same time. <laughs> Ashamed, yeah. angry, humiliated, and prideful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a noxious thing. <laughs> so, I was angry, Roxanne didn't respect me. When she took on these other jobs or took control, these things pointed directly to my failures and sin. And it struck me right here. It wounded me. And so instead of repenting, I became passive aggressive in this situation. She'd take control and I'd be like, sabotage that thing. I would be making it more difficult in the spending of the money or saving of the money or it's crazy. I, I hate to say that. I really hate to share this. Our marriage was terrible. We had horrible fights. <laughs> each of us blamed each other for the situation, and we both were right. I felt so trapped, I had no clue how to get out of the situation. I really didn't. And it's really interesting because someone, it takes someone to break the cycle. It takes someone to dare to repent. Yeah. One person starts it, it changes. It, it starts changing things. Right. And I'll never forget, this was the, one of the scariest days of my life. Roxanne came in and she said, I quit. I went, what? She said, I'm done. I'm done fighting. You leave. I let you leave. That was even insulting me. You let me leave. <laughs> but she was saying, okay, I'm going to submit to you. You lead us. And if your decisions lead us to the street and the streets we're going to be. If we need to be in a trailer, we're going to be in a trailer. You're going to lead. I'm going to trust God. That was terrifying to me. That scared me so much. I can't imagine. I didn't even think how scared she was to make that decision, but it terrified me. You mean I have to be responsible? <laughs> I have to live the role that God's given me? Oh my goodness. Turn with me to Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Because Roxanne entrusted herself to God and not to me, I had the opportunity to mature and grow spiritually. That was the space I needed to go and do this. We weren't fighting over leadership. I took over the bills. I took on additional jobs to make more money to pay those bills when I realized just how bad off we were. I started desperately praying about the situation. And armed with a different attitude, I started working harder at work and getting promoted. It's interesting when you repent what God does. Roxanne changed her focus. Her jobs were to become more home-based, where she was off and the children were off. And it took some time, to be honest, for Roxanne to respect me after all that we had been through. That's what repentance does. I was able to build her trust. I wasn't always the man worthy of her submission, and that's quite not even the issue. It isn't the issue. The issue is she submitted herself to God and not to me. I don't even really know if I am worthy of that submission now, but because she's obeyed God in this area... I can give this testimony. So, let's continue. Verse 3, we're making lots of progress. So, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Why is Peter addressing how women dress? Why is that coming up? Is looking nice a sin? Should I make myself look plain? Is that what God wants? Is he saying, I can't be outgoing? I can't be a little loud? I can't be funny? Don't discount the message because of some triggered objection. Okay? Don't go there. What is he saying? God is concerned, ladies, about your heart. Amen. About your values. 
let's ask a few questions. What is your focus in how you dress? Why are you adorning yourself? Why are you trying to enhance your appearance? Are you trying to one-up someone? Are you trying to generate some interest from a guy? Are you trying to dress for success? Hide your aging? Ooh, I'm getting everything. <laughs> God is concerned about your heart. What is going on in here when you adorn yourself? It isn't an issue of making yourself look good. It's an issue of why. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is precious in God's sight. I would like to do something precious for God. <laughs> When you think about that, God so values something. This is precious. So which is more adorning when you look on the inside, okay? Let's do a compare and contrast because this is real life. We're talking real stuff here, okay? What's going on in here? Is it attractive if you are anxious, if you are agitated, when your mind is racing all the time, how does that present itself from the heart? You see what I'm saying? Because the heart and mind, those are the same things here. How you're thinking, I'm agitated, I'm anxious, my mind's racing, I'm emotional, I'm overwrought, I'm feeling fearful, I'm insecure. I need to protect myself. Those things, that if they're in here, it's coming out. Right. It's coming out. And that's not how God wants it to be for your heart. The way he wants it is that on the inside, you're at peace. He wants your thoughts under control, not out of control. He wants your trust to be in God, that he will sustain you, that he will provide for you, he will protect you, that you have all that you need, that he is enough. And you can focus on doing good. He's telling us how holy men, holy women should adorn themselves. And that would be very attractive to be at peace, to be under control, to rely on God rather than the other. This is precious. He's saying, submitting themselves to their husbands, this is precious to God. You see, Sarah, this is really interesting, in her heart obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and she did this with a genuine attitude of respect. It wasn't begrudging of her. The scripture indicates that she really felt that way about her husband. He's Lord. I mean, he's an awesome God. Did he make mistakes? Did he screw up? We read the scriptures. Of course he did. She suffered from it. She suffered from his decisions. And yet... The scripture says, 
You can be like Sarah if you do good and don't give into the fear of things that frighten you. Your guy is going to do stuff that scares you. I've been my God. You can be like Sarah if you don't give into your fear. Time for another likewise in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, see, in the same way, in the same way. Okay, and then we get to finally in just a moment. Okay? Husbands, men. What would it be like trying to show you respect with the way that you act? Just ask yourself that question. If I had to submit to me, what would that look like? How easy is that? Imagine what it would be like to submit to someone who behaves like you. I don't have to imagine, I have been that guy. I, I just have to keep resetting, okay? You had better show some understanding, is basically what the scripture's saying. You had better show your wife some understanding. How do you show her understanding? What would be showing your wife understanding if she has to submit to you? I'm gonna help her. I'm going to support her. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to listen to her. Amen. I'm going to be sympathetic when she has something to say about me. I'm going to let her rest sometimes. I'm going to take on some of her stuff at times. Encourage her. Give her companionship. Set her a spiritual example. Honor her and acknowledge her worth. That would show some understanding. Look, guys, if you don't do these things, how are you going to be able to have a great relationship with God? That's what the scripture is saying. You can't have a great relationship with God if you don't show your spouse understanding right. you know what you're going to get conflict, despair depression, separation loneliness yep. you just as a man can't be right with God if you're not treating your wife with honor that she deserves see we, the reason this scripture is here is we share this journey together towards heaven. It's not an individual. We share this. We're walking this together. God wants this journey to be a blessing to both the husband and the wife. So finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. 
Peter is describing how the kingdom of God should look. We think the same way. Jesus is Lord. We have a genuine love for each other. In our fellowship, everyone is created in the image of God. Male or female, it doesn't matter what your race is. Everyone is created in the image of God. We have a shared need for the blood of Christ and for his forgiveness. And he's saying here that we should be able to receive correction and instruction without a prideful reaction. That's that tender heart and a humble mind. We can bless those who hurt us instead of delivering payback. So are we doing our part to honor God's kingdom with these behaviors? Verse 10 through 12 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The scriptures we've read today in 1 Peter chapter 3 show us the kingdom behaviors that we are called to live. If we hold on to these behaviors and think this way, we will obtain a blessing from God. So as men and women, are we in alignment with God on what he's saying here? Are we aligned? Is our thinking the way our king thinks? And if we're not, what do we need to do to get into alignment? How do we get there? If you don't know, review the scripture Deal with somebody that's a little further along and talk about these things. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.